Azure Barbara. Hi, thank you for having me. <laughs> it's all right. Thank you for coming. Well, thank you for doing this with us. Um, first of all, congratulations, because this is publication day. Thank you. It's, it's um, a really, really overwhelming feeling. Like when you started something yeah. and you, you get to this point where it, it's weird, like writing a book in, in the middle of a global pandemic, it doesn't actually feel like it's mm. really happening because all of the perks <laughs> that come with writing a book are sort of not yeah. there. You're yeah. not seeing anyone. So you're kind of just like, am I really actually writing a book? And now I'm mm. hit with this wave of emotion that like, yes, I did write a book. It's amazing, but it hasn't, it hasn't felt like a, a normal process at all. And it hasn't felt real mm. because the world has changed so much. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's finally here. So yeah, yeah. I, I placed my order earlier for to, to pick it up at Waterstones. Um, so I think it's going to be like either this afternoon or indulging during the weekends. But well, fantastic. This is everything. What you think. Yeah, this is everything I love. Like I live, you know, the same way. Like I, you know, asking the hard questions. Like there's a lot to discuss, really, because you tackle on a few things, and I. I'll see when I actually read the book, but I was going to say it's a, it's a heavy program. So surely not everything can be discussed, you know? Yeah. And I try and also tell people like, look, I'm, there are academics who really, really break down these topics in mm. a way that is super enriching. I hope to get people interested in these topics, but to realize that like what I'm saying is just the surface stuff, you know, yeah. like if this is, if you're interested in, colonialism go off and read a lot more about that if you're interested in consumerism go off and read a lot more about that if you're interested in race by all means there are so many good books out there so mm -hmm. I'm hoping to draw people in but for them to realize that this isn't like the end of, of the journey of learning about these topics I'm I mean trying... like everything else like it's never enough to read one book you know? yeah I'm just trying to make it an accessible topic that gets people in the door yeah so just to get started, um, mm -hmm. for you know some people who still don't know you, you're a writer and fashion consultant. Mm -hmm. um, you have just published this book called Consumed. Yes. Um, so, like I said, it's a heavy program. Mm -hmm. uh, Consumed: The Need for Collective Change on Colonialism, Climate Change, and Consumerism. Yes. Today at Octopus, is it? Uh, yes, Octopus Books. Nice. Actually, um, brazen. Well, octopus books, but brazen as well. So <laughs> right, right. So I mean, just to touch on what you were saying earlier, like surely it's been a long time coming, right? Because this is your field. But how long have you been, roughly, like writing this book? Yeah. So a lot of what you're going to read in the book is stories that you know have happened throughout my life. So mm -hmm. and and so many of my experiences cumulatively have sort of led up to this book, you know, going and moving to New York in my twenties and being in the magazine world and realizing that it really upholds systems of oppression in so many ways based on like who can participate and who is celebrated. And, you know, having all of these different experiences really fed into the profile I have today and what I'm doing today on my platform. I would argue that if I didn't have those experiences and some of them are quite frankly crappy, I wouldn't be able to write about mm. these topic matters with the experience that I have basically. So there's a lot of information in the books and some of it really sort of dates back to like 
you know, times in my life where I thought, well, this is really shitty, but one day I will have a use for this. Yeah. 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 And because you've been writing about sustainable fashion for so long, you must have had so much material, so many sources, like so, so many stories. I'm quite surprised actually, to be honest, that this is your first actual book because well, you've been doing this for a long time. If I can be really honest, mm. the world still has a lot of structural yeah. red tape around who's allowed to write about these topics and who isn't. And so for me, I, I felt like wanting to play and participate in fashion and literary world was just throwing as many things as the, at the wall as possible and hoping that something sticks, you know, but I have bounced around the internet. It has my Twitter platform, I, I was a very early adopter to Twitter mm. and I didn't start to get the following that I now have until this year. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, yeah. and, and it came off of being on Instagram and having a following there, but I had been, you know, playing with Twitter for years, basically, and in a lot of circles. But to be honest, like it, it's one of those things where I began to really notice, like probably in the mid 2000s that like, okay, all of a sudden black women and black men, black people that I admire are starting to write books and the mm -hmm. world is starting to celebrate them. Wouldn't it have been great if the world had just celebrated us all along? Yeah. Why did it yeah. take so long? But you know what? Take the opportunity when it comes. So that's what I'm doing. And you know, the, the literary world and the sustainability, uh, well, like sustainable activism world is still very, you know, very white. white. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And that's, so that's a bit of, that's a bit of what the book is about. And I think because we talk about these topics, like this is the new sustainability world while perpetuating the same problems, we ultimately end up fixing nothing, mm -hmm. you know, and that's something that the fashion industry always does. And that's something that I talk about in the book, you know, people talked about how blogging is going to make fashion more democratic. Did it? Because <laughs> I would argue that a lot of people that got big platforms for blogging and not everyone, there are people that I absolutely very much respect to this day who came out of blogging. But I would argue that there were some people where they started a blog and in two weeks it was being written about in the magazines. And why was mm -hmm. it being written about? Because they were rich. Yeah because they were independently wealthy, because they had more designer shoes than I will ever own in a lifetime. That's not making something more democratic to celebrate people who were born into generations of wealth. Mm -hmm. That is just doing the same thing everyone else has done. So yeah, until we start to make the fashion world more equitable, we're never going to change the way we need to change. We're just doing the same thing and celebrating the same people. And that's, it's kind of bullshit. Yeah. And also, like, I guess, you know, once we finally realize that we need to go a bit deeper than just like trying to make activism glamorous or just yeah. like doing this for a hit tweets, um, that it's actually just like, you know, the premise of your book is, it's, it's so much more than fast fashion, you know, that mm -hmm. it is even like to mental health. And that's something we can talk about later. But, you know, it's it's for everyone. Just like you said, you know, you you wrote somewhere. It's, it's time for us to stop being consumers and start being citizens. Being citizens yes, absolutely. It's, it's for, you know, it, it should be accessible to everyone and everyone should have a voice in that. And it's really not about 
you know, social media or posting something like looking good and making like activism look a certain way. It's it's a lot deeper than that. And then and it starts with, yeah, asking the hard questions about yourself and your own behavior. And yeah, totally. And, and can we also say part of the reason why the fashion industry has sort of gotten away with some epic bullshit for years is because the world looks at fashion as frivolous and silly, you know, mm -hmm. like that's mm -hmm. something that I, I, I always brush upon this, but like, if the world, if, if fashion were something that was celebrated by a majority cis het white male population, yep. uh, people would take it more seriously and take its impacts more seriously, but because it's largely associated with women's women, interests, women's yeah. interests yeah. And, and queer people as well lots of queer people uh people tend to treat fashion like it it's not as impactful and yeah. it's not as serious and it's frivolous and silly but in actuality it's responsible for a percentage of the carbon dioxide problem we're facing which is aiding in climate emergency despite all the data despite all the reports yeah we're still there and 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 again you know there's the question of intersectionality because it's not just about carbon footprint obviously there's so many people who are just like oppressed because of the fashion industry and oh yes I mean it, yeah, and, it's very and this is this there's so many reasons why we should care like yeah. we should not be perpetuating systems that harm people that is the first the first thing but I think it's really time for people to realize that even if you don't care about other people and you should care about other people one day this is all going to come for you. <laughs> like yeah. we're, a lot of us are not going to get out of this problem. I think rich people think that they're somewhat going to be somehow insulated from climate emergency, but I don't really actually think that's true. I yeah. think we're all going down on this. It's, shit. it's, it's so, coming quick. Yeah. And yeah. So even if you don't care about other people, well, you should question why you don't care about other people. But at the end of the day, you need to know that like climate emergency is coming for us all. Yeah. And, and obviously, like fashion is this big word, but, you know, it's not just about luxury fashion or runway fashion. You know, it could be just the socks that you buy or like, you know, we have to yes. wear clothes. It's not just clothes exactly. to go out. And until we live in a society where you don't have to, where you can like choose to be a naturist, you're going to be buying clothing. So there's going to be people that are going to be like, I don't care about fashion at all. And it's like, well, that's fine if you don't care, but you still have to buy clothing. Exactly. And that's why you should be a part of this conversation too. So please tell me about the book. So I read that it has a radical format. So mm -hmm. half is about learning and a half is about unlearning. Yeah. So um, the, the first half is, is really like, here's my story. And here's some history that you should know about colonialism. And then the second half is, okay let's look at let's look at what we're all doing here yeah. let's 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 start to unlearn some stuff so the second half we start to talk about habits we talk about why we buy we talk about the loop of consumerism and how you as a person might not think that you're drawn into it but you are so let's let's unpick this so that maybe we can all sort of move forward on the on the same ground together um and there's also illustrations because i think generally a lot of, you know, sustainability can be a really dense topic, you know, colonialism can be a really heavy topic. And so I tried to really add a, a little bit of, I don't want to say levity because it's all very serious, but the truth is one of the ways the fashion industry is constantly like 
biting off its nose to spite its face is really sort of having a barrier for entry around conversations that we want people to participate Mm -hmm. in. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, everyone should care about sustainability, but we're not going to talk to the general public in a way which draws them in and makes them want to care. And so I wanted to write a book that was so accessible that like a teenager could read it and, and really get it because that's, that's who we, we need to be appealing to everyone. And the smoke and mirrors around the fashion industry needs to go away so that people see where the problems are and can make better decisions for themselves, you know, and for the planet. Yeah. Who, who do you think this book is for? Like mostly, do you, do you have an idea of who would consume? consume? <laughs> um, I want everyone to buy the book. I, I know that's probably a bit of a cop-out answer, but I also hope that marginalized people in particular feel mm-hmm. very validated in some of the stories. And I've already gotten messages from someone I know who is a fashion designer. And she was just like, child this 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 book is is really 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 making some sticking points with me about my own past so I hope that any person that feels a little bit like perhaps the industry has mistreated you in ways that you you feel validated and know that it's not just you it's not good um but I really hope that the general public will find the book really valuable and that people will start to question some of those habits or question why you want to go shopping as a pastime and why mm-hmm. you want to like buy a new dress because you're feeling bad about yourself and like you know how many ads do we see in a day let me just count like I live in London and one day I, I was like I'm going to count all the ads I see on my trip downtown today and I, I stopped at like you know 20 and I was just like and I'd only been counting for like five minutes (laughs) I lost interest because we all have short attention spans because of social media but I remember going oh wow I saw like 20 ads within the span of five minutes but you know it's sad but at the same time that's kind of the the way to adapt to how people like consume media and content like to kind of keep it light just a little bit but at the same time you don't want to like you said like make a joke out of it it's a very yeah. very serious topic but um, you don't also want to like lose people um because people are so used to just like shutting down and like you know tuning off like we've seen uh you know you know during like the black lives matter protest like so many yeah. people were saying oh it's too heavy for me like I'm, I'm tuning out like i'm not on social media these days and like it's so easy for people to do that and just like have you know just decide on like what they decide to to look at like to, to a, tune into and whatnot yeah. and you know I I get that everybody is feeling burnt out I mean one of the things that our society does really well is we go through really traumatic things like a global pandemic and everybody goes oh we should talk about mental health but we don't actually do anything for mental health we like we talk about it we yeah. say like hashtag be kind but we're not like <laughs> no really we need to like actually like make resources available for people because it's been a tough two years Mm -hmm. and we talk about this stuff and then it just doesn't really happen yeah and then instead of like talking about like wow you know those two years really really left me a bit traumatized we we instead like go oh yeah but we got through it we were so strong we're so strong you know what I mean 
So yeah, yeah. We, do, we do this thing in our society where we claim to care about mental health, but then the ways in which we talk about things, which frankly, like traumatize people, we, we only value people who want well, at it. You were the strongest. You were so great. We were so strong. You know, we talk about like clapping for the carers, but then when they want like a 1% raise, <laughs> our politicians vote against it. But then we say like they're heroes. So then like the politicians don't it's have all to give talk. them a raise. It's all talk. It's, it's all yeah. talk. And so, you know, I know that like mentally the world is in a weird place. And I wanted to write a book where I was not, you know, where I was accessible, but also not judgy. I'm not trying to make people feel like, you know, they're a bad person because yeah. I didn't know it. You know, I, I always got a feeling there was a time period where I really began to be like, I don't know, fast fashion is making me feel kind of icky, but I just kept shopping because our world tells us that that's what you do. You that's need some retail us. therapy to feel better. You just need retail therapy. But I was like, is this what I need? So I hope to give people the tools to just question the system. That's yeah. really all I like. Yeah. And so do you think that it starts with getting a bit uncomfortable with yourself? Yeah, I think there's some real uncomfortable truths that we need to grapple with. I mean, and those truths also sort of come back to other things in our society, like the fact that we do not talk about wealth in our society. Mm -hmm. we, we praise people who pull themselves up by their bootstraps. Yeah. And that doesn't actually happen that much in our society. But because that is the thing that people praise, you have people going through all sorts of like fiery hoops to hide like things like generational wealth from their peers. Mm -hmm. And it's really not helping anyone. It's not helping this conversation. You know, I, I, we live, we're in a society where like every person wants to like talk about how they care so much about defending, you know, poverty. And, you know, if you critique this system, you were just critiquing poor people. And I, I always argue that that's not true because, you know, poverty is obviously systemic and it exists in every country, but 50% of the world lives on $5 and 50 cents a day. Yeah. And they're not the people buying fast fashion. Yeah. Most garment workers can't afford to buy the clothing they make. So like, can we just come honest here? And, and another, you know, part of that is that you know, if we are talking about poor and working poor people, particularly in America, which is the largest fast fashion consumer, um, poor and working poor people account for like three to 4% of America's wealth. But if you look at all the fast fashion companies, the people at the top, the people at the board, the people within the families that own those businesses are billionaires. So mm -hmm. that three to 4% of wealth in America, that's not enough to make a billionaire. So how are these people getting so rich? Like, can we just acknowledge who's buying fast fashion? It's everyone. And the people that are buying at the speed which maintains the system and keeps it profitable are not poor people. But when it comes to defending a system that people really want to participate in, they, they'll jump through all sorts of fiery hoops and call you classists and say that you hate poor people. And I'm like, no, actually, I don't. I just want us to be a little bit more honest about this system and who's perpetuating it. And, and, and these things are not like hidden, you know, it's not like hidden it's, knowledge. You know, if no. you dig a little, you can you can easily find it. If you just, you know, watch like the, I don't know, like the UN's conference 
like learn a little bit about SDGs. It's, just it's really it's all there. It's it's all there. And I think for a lot of these myths surrounding fast fashion, it's the internet. Like one person mm. says something that everyone's like, oh, that's really clever. I'm gonna say that too. And then before you know it, everyone says it. And whether or not it's based in like truth or fiction doesn't really matter. It's just become the norm that people say on the internet. It's classes to critique fast fashion. That's one of them. Or um, what's what's the other one? Where was I going to go with it? There's another one. Oh, that people that are thrifting or gentrifying thrift stores and you're a bad person. That's mm. another myth, okay? The fashion industry pumps out 100 billion items of clothing every year. There are only 7.9 billion humans on this planet. So a person that's starting a Depop business isn't actually displacing anyone. The reason people can't find good stuff is because of fast fashion. Now, when I go into a thrift store, the majority of what I see is polyester and it's from the same 20 stores, you know, like, and I have seen this change happen within my lifetime as someone who lived in London as a student almost 20 years ago and someone who lives here now, there is a world of difference between what you see in a charity shop and what you used to see, but people are blaming people who are reselling clothing, which I think that's actually a great way to sort of keep it in the, uh, keep it in circulation and say, oh, no, no, that's a bad thing. You shouldn't be doing that. But that's a bit of a myth that's just been peddled through social media. People talk a lot, but then like, what is, what is the alternative, you know, that you would like to share? Like, what are you supposed to do with that stuff? Are you just going to then just throw it in a trash? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, there's a bunch of these myths that I've been hearing about for years that have been really you know getting under my skin so I just thought let's unpick this in the book because I'm tired of talking about this with people I know my friends are tired of talking about it with people you know and and you know people also don't understand the value of clothing because fast fashion has really changed our Overton window with how much things should cost like clothing is the one thing that has not gone up with inflation Education mm. has gone up with inflation. The cost of cars has gone up with inflation. And do not get me started about the cost of housing. Clothing, meanwhile, has gone down. And so we have a real skewed idea of what a fair price is for a garment because fast fashion artificially suppresses the price. And this idea that, you know, affordability, yeah, it might be affordable for you, but it wasn't affordable for someone's the being the farmer. price. It yeah. wasn't affordable for the cotton farmer that got ripped off. It was not affordable for the garment worker that didn't get paid. It is only affordable to you. And there is a backstory behind why that price is so low. And for every low price, there is a human cost there. And people aren't quite ready to grapple with that. But I hope to really get people on the same page. So we start to understand that, like, we're not going to get out of this in a sea of $10 dresses. Yeah, yeah, it's... I guess it, it, that's why people need to write about this and and read about this because there is a lot to unpack um, mm -hmm. and it's not just one area. So that's why like earlier I, I touched on intersectionality because there is no sustainability if you don't talk about social justice or racial mm -hmm. justice. You know, there's always someone paying the price. You So obviously you're, you're drawing the parallels with colonialism because it's absolutely linked. Um, you wrote the top two largest fast fashion chains in the world are white owned. 
the companies guilty of the most plastic pollution are also white owned. Mm -hmm. Most meat consumed from South America, the Amazon, gets exported to Europe and the USA to white dominated countries. Mm -hmm. And that's something that, like we said earlier, people like to comp compartmentalize things. So there's like sustainability activists, there's social justice activists, but actually it's all linked. And wealth is one thing, like you said, you know, there's a f just like a, a handful of people just dominating those industries. Mm -hmm. And then everyone else is like a link in the chain, right? Like either you're making yeah. clothes and you're being oppressed or like you're you know voting with your wallet and then you're going to primark and yeah but at the like, same time people aren't looking to there's a lot of like oh all of this blame is equally on everyone like i see people saying but the world buys fast fashion it's like mm. no actually the world doesn't the global north buys fast fashion yeah the uk the us the uk is the biggest um purchaser of fast fashion in all of europe the U.S. is the second largest in the world. China is actually the first, but that is only because their population is huge. Per head, the U.S. is buying more fast fashion than anyone else. And so everybody sort of likes to like spread the problem about and say that it's everyone. But it's just, once again, one of those myths that we tell ourselves to make ourselves feel better about the system. A way to deflect completely exactly. and, and not take a hard look at yourself. Yeah, exactly. And did you did you learn yourself like some things while writing the book, even though that that was your lifestyle for a long time, living sustainably? Um, you know, I, I would argue it just made me want to buy less. <laughs> like, yeah, like even I, less. I, I, yeah, I've gotten to the point where obviously I buy so much less than I bought six years ago. You know, but when you're having to really look at this topic all day, every day, and write about it, you're like, I. Like I literally will scrutinize buying a new thing now. Like I'll yeah. sit on it and be like, do I need it? Do I really need it? I've been watching the same like dress on a secondhand site for six months now. Mm -hmm. And so that's literally who I've become now. It's just, I'm the person that overly scrutinizes buying new things, except for books. I buy books. Yeah. But what goes into your decision-making then before buying something? What are the questions besides, do I want this? Do I actually truly need it? And the truth is, no. As far as clothing goes, I don't actually need new clothing. I like new clothing. I like secondhand clothing. Um, but I've got loads of clothing. And that's the thing. Most of my friends, particularly those in the same socioeconomic you know, status as I am, have more than enough clothing. Most of us do. And that's just one of those things where people are like, oh, I need new boots this winter. And it's like, but your old boots are fine. Mm. And it's like, you know what I mean? Like we talk about needs first once, but we don't actually talk about how we do that when it comes to buying things that we simply want. Yeah. And what does it even mean to need something? Because yeah. what we think we need is very different in a, you know, a underprivileged region. Exactly. Exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, you asked me where it all began. I, I came from a position where like, growing up, I did not have the right clothing. And like, mm -hmm. I wore a lot of hand-me-downs. Um, and my mother wasn't going to be the type of person that was going to drop hard-earned cash on, you know, something from like a, a brand that I really liked. And so 
at first I got really interested in fashion because I just wanted to fit in. Like I didn't get invited to birthday parties and stuff. And I thought, oh, well, maybe if I had clothing from that store, they treat me nicer. And spoiler, they wouldn't have, <laughs> you know, <laughs> but in my childlike brain, that was how I reasoned it. Like, oh, maybe I would have friends if I started like wearing clothing from this store, that store. And that actually were like the first fights that I would have with my mom was about my clothing because my mother has always been extremely frugal, has always been very, um, you know, she, she buys most of her own clothing used. And so she just didn't understand this at all. And, and so I, I, I was originally someone who just wanted that clothing. And then I began to actually really like fashion because a genuine interest grew from like that material, like, oh, but I want it. I need it. I need to fit in. And then it was like, actually, this is a really cool topic. It's really interesting. There are interesting people doing interesting work. I like art. You know, a lot of the people working here are, are artists. This is art. And so I, I did gain an actual interest for fashion, but it definitely at first came from, I need these labels so I can fit in with that person who's never mm-hmm. going to be nice to me. It, it's so interesting when you see how early on we, were conditioned to think these things yeah I was nine nine yeah and the the power of of media the power of advertising and marketing even just I started buying my own clothing when I was 11 Mm. wow yeah and 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 marketing does that to you you know you think you you must aspire to a certain image and there are some brands that you should own and wear to be seen a certain way and, and then you'll be accepted in some circles where it's actually yeah. very far from the truth. Oh, but it's, you know where that, you know where that really is like super normalized in films? Like mm. this is, this is something I talk about a lot. So the makeover scene that you see in movies, yeah. that's what that is. It's, she's it's all in, that. It's <laughs> a pretty that. woman, pretty woman, big yeah. mistake, huge. Uh, she's all that as well. They're like, Oh, those glasses. She's adorable with the glasses. What are they talking about? But, you know, she's all that, pretty woman, clueless, the devil wears Prada. Every one of those movies I enjoy, even the Princess Diaries, but it always has to have a makeover scene that involves lots of shopping, changing the hair, probably removing the glasses. And that's that's the message that is being sent to us is that, you know, if you buy a lot of things, the world will view you differently yeah and and also the association to this being a good time like an activity mm-hmm. um, it's fun yeah it's completely like devoid of of meaning like it's it's not even about what you actually need like you said it's actually just doing it as a like for the thrill and just yes. like spending money on, on stuff but Absolutely. What's interesting, you wrote that the less you buy the more power you have um, so I was wondering if you've had actually like a, your own like light bulb moment when you really felt that in your life. Yeah, because I think when I when I stopped buying fast fashion at first, it was like, oh, I really miss it. Oh, mm. you know, like, oh, who will I be if I'm not this person participating in this system, which is really sad, but it's true. And now when I go back into those stores, I can't look at it the same anymore. I actually see it as like headache inducing. Everything smells like plastic. Um, The formaldehyde that they sometimes spray the clothing with so that it doesn't wrinkle in transit. That's very noticeable to me. And so 
being someone who is now not at all interested in buying or shopping or consuming that way, I actually have a real problem when I go in those stores. Like I would feel like I'd have to force myself to buy something yeah. and I probably wouldn't be that happy about it. And what's so before it was hyper-normalized, yeah. you know? I don't know if you've ever felt that, but you know, even if you're like, you love fashion, like as an art and you think you're going to miss that, like, you know, you want to be fashion forward and you style and everything. And that if you don't go through just like regular retail, you're mm-hmm. going to miss out on something or like not dress as well. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but then after a while, I feel like you kind of, if you only go through, let's say, thrift stores and you buy from charity shops here mm-hmm. after a while I, I, you kind of notice that sometimes you quite often like you do find things that are in style like current style and it's just yeah. because it's an eternal cycle and it's you, an you realize cycle. even more than you know we've just been duped you know yeah think it's like brand new things brand new trends like that you should get like get that now before it's gone but actually you can, I mean you find it, something extremely similar somewhere else if I can be really honest, like the style of denim, you can pretty much wear any style of denim right now. And Mm. it's considered trendy, like literally skinny jeans, uh, wide legs, high-waisted, you know, boot cut. It's kind of an everything goes moment. And so like, if a store were like, no, this is a style you need to have right now, they're lying to you. They Mm. are because literally everyone is wearing any type of jean they want to wear right now. Yeah. You know, we've, we've actually gotten to that point where like, it's not like, Oh, that looks really dated. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, the youth call skinny jeans chuggy, but I still think they're fine. You know what I mean? So like we have gotten to this point where there's a general acceptance with like some of these, these items and the idea that fashion media is still like the must have jeans for autumn. It's like, why are you doing this? It's really not like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess also when we grow older, we realize a few things that we didn't realize when we were teenagers. You know, it's not really about what this magazine tells us to buy. You know, there's also this, you know, what really, works for you? What well, makes you happy? Yeah, it's already well, in your wardrobe. This beautiful pair of jeans that might might be 10 years old, but you you actually love them. You work, you look great in them. Like, why would you get throw them away? You know? Exactly. Exactly. No, I couldn't agree with you more. And so yeah, I think in general, once you step out of the hamster wheel of like constant mm-hmm. consumption, all of a sudden it actually looks like a circus. Yeah. You're a bit like, whoa. And I also say that it's it's similar to sugar. Like I'm American. And one thing we know about America is there's like sugar and everything. Yeah. And when you're constantly in America and you're eating the food, you don't really notice it. But when I moved to London, I noticed the absence immediately. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I need sugar. I need this. I need that. You know, like I need cookies, something. And then after like a few weeks, it sort of like tapers off and you just don't really care anymore. But when I go back to the States, I might go to like a restaurant and I'll order a dessert that like I used to eat frequently. And I am shocked by how sweet it is. Mm. And fast fashion is the same way. When you're constantly in the cycle of buying it, you're, you're going, oh, no, no, this is normal. This is great. And then you stop and you're like, oh, you know what? I, I kind of miss it. Oh, you know, and, and I always tell people 
you're not going to like quit cold turkey. It's actually really hard for some people. It's easy, but I, I didn't find it that easy. It took a matter of, you know, a few tries, but eventually you do get to a point where when you go back in, you're like, was the clothing always this bad? Yeah, because again, there's so much to unpack, even on the psychological side, because some people just not only build their careers around fashion, but build their own personality around fashion. Like a reason yeah. to love them is because they dress like this. or you know, they always have like the newest stuff. So it is for some people like even harder to. It's really hard. But then I also ask people, do you like fashion or do you like shopping? Yeah, because there's definitely a difference between difference between the two. Yeah. Do you do you feel like the pandemic has had some positive aspects? Um, you know, I, I get asked this a lot. And honestly, yeah. I think we became more polarized. So it, mm. people went in two different directions. Yeah. Okay. The person that right before the pandemic was starting to think that things were a little weird, mm. they took a moment and took that breather to really dive into what I talk about and yeah. it changed them. Like there were some people that were kind of starting to get a little like, I'm not sure if I really want to be in with this thing. The, those people really actually just kind of stopped. They were just sort of like, and it was great. I mean, I told people there were times during lockdown where I wore the same two outfits and just alternated all week long. Yeah. Because like, where was I going? What was I doing? And I, I felt that there was a lot, there were quite a few people that agreed with me. Like, this has really given me insight into just how much shopping I was doing and how much I didn't need to be doing that. And mm -hmm. I'm never going back to that way. So that's great. Like that definitely, that impact has happened. Like I said, you know, or I didn't actually say that, but my following has definitely <laughs> like grown. Yeah, like I thought, my following has definitely grown for sure, you know, so that's, that's the first element of it is that like, yes, I can see that my message is getting more popular. So there's definitely change happening. However, people that were not interested in looking at this system or critiquing the system at all, I think just went deeper into consumerism. And we see that in the popularity of Xi'an, you know what I mean? Like Xi'an is killing it. And I think for a lot of people that just we're not trying to critique this system at all. Um, I, guess, just... I guess in a in in the similar way to the sugar analogy, um, people yeah. have been like deprived for like a year, yeah. year and a half, and they're just like going like ten times harder than they were before. It's exactly like, that. It's even more. It's like, oh, I'm trapped in my house. I'll just buy things. That's yeah. what I'll do. You know, like I miss my friends. I need a hug. I miss seeing people. I'm, I'm desperate for social interaction. You know what? I'll buy $700 worth of stuff from Shein. And we obviously have seen that because Shein is definitely hitting those numbers and everybody's writing articles about how they're fast growing. So I think it's definitely been a 50-50 split. And so I'm hoping with the book that we can reach people who kind of thought, oh, I'll never critique this system. And that's why I I made a book that I tried to keep lighthearted in some ways, because I'm hoping that for that friend that you are really nervous about sort of talking to, because you, you know, that like you're going in a different direction 
and like yeah. they're they're still going oh why don't you want to go to the mall with me like oh come over I bought some new stuff I want to show you and you're mm-hmm. going oh I don't think I want to do that you just give them the book instead because these conversations are hard <laughs> I know that they're hard I've had them I have I've had friendships where we drifted apart because I was going in a different direction from them and they weren't really going to be interested in what I was doing or changing anything. I get that it's hard. So I'm hoping that people will just like, Hey, I got you this book for, for the holidays. I hope you enjoy it and give it mm-hmm. a read. And then maybe not preaching, but yeah, just, just, just yeah. have a little, have a little tell me what you yeah. think. We can discuss it together, you know? And then what, you can understand you... why I don't want to like go to the mall anymore, but maybe we can like go to art galleries instead or volunteer. Yeah. Let's find some other way to like spend time together that's not based off of buying things. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask. Like, what are you hoping that people will take away from the book in terms of like, what do you hope they will do after reading this book? Or like the first actions, at least like the basics that they would. Yeah, I, I definitely hope that people do talk to their friends about it because so mm. much of our friendship is definitely can, can be wrapped around consumption. I know that for my own friendship, my, I'm really fortunate because my best friend and I, we basically both sort of fell off the fast fashion wagon at the same mm-hmm. time. There was no like hard, like, oh, we can't do this anymore. We just both sort of lost interest in it at the same time. And it was really great. It was sort of like, we we were like, okay, we don't really want to go hang out at the mall anymore together. We want to spend time. Instead, we want to volunteer together. Instead, we're going to go to his art museum. Um, instead, we're going to go on a hike in the national park or we're going to go to a movie, you know, things that we used to like not have money for because we were spending it buying clothing that we weren't actually loving that much. We now have money for, you know, we always have money for a movie. We always have money for a new book. And I think we, we took that step together. So sometimes it's easier if you have a friend who's definitely headed in that direction as well. Mm. Yeah, for sure. I can imagine. I mean, that's also, I guess, the point of being best friends, you know, (laughs) especially. Yeah being best friends with a sustainable like sustainable fashion activist like surely (laughs) that has to apply to you as well she really Um, I mean but I was never at at this moment when we had that shift I didn't have this platform right you know what I mean so it was really just quite a gradual thing where it was like yeah maybe we shouldn't be buying all this stuff anymore it's yeah but nobody ever spoke it it was an unspoken gradual thing that happened just growing together yeah, that's exactly what it is. So I'm hoping that people will share it with loved ones and that mm-hmm. maybe we can all just grow together on this topic. Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you as well, in in like within the sustainable sustainability like sphere, but sustainable fashion um industry or like world in general, like what do you want to see happen as well? Like, you know, is it like diversification of people um is it if I can be really honest Mm. I want the big high street stores to stop having the amount of power they have I want people to stop automatically giving them their money that is what I want the most because they will never change anything unless those of us who are perpetuating the system start to step away from it Mm -hmm. and the truth is they're the culprits you know what I mean like I always tell people even if you still want to buy 
spread your money out, buy from a small brand. You're going to spend more money, but at least there's a very good chance that what you're buying is going to be way more ethical than something that comes from that store. If you're someone who can, who can do that, you know, not everyone can, but I would argue the people that are putting in the type of money that really sustains the system can definitely make those changes. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you still remain hopeful for the future? Like, do you manage to avoid, you know, climate anxiety? Or just oh, that? no, I face climate doomism like constantly, but I feel hopeful because people message me and tell me that like your platform has changed the way I participate in the system. That gives me a ton of hope. Um, And I just think eventually, I don't think that we're going to be having these conversations because if we don't change our ways, we're going to have way bigger problems. You know what I mean? Like nobody's going to be able to create 50 seasons of clothing a year in a world that's under planetary distress and facing droughts constantly. Yeah. That's really the reality. So whether or not the fashion industry wants to change its way, the planet is changing. And eventually if they do not change with it, they will be obsolete. Yeah. I mean the planet will kick us out. So exactly. the planet exactly. will be fine. Planet will be damaged, but then we'll be I fine you know, I I not? feel if 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 we keep going down this path, a loaf of bread is going to be worth more than a diamond ring. Yeah. So, you know, I'm just kind of looking at these brands going, keep playing. But at the end of the day, like you won't have a consumer to sell to if you keep doing this. So they're going to have to lose some of their power. And I would like to see a fashion industry that is more diverse in every way. And a fashion industry where small brands and brands that are doing everything right are competing on the big, on the main stage. Yeah. That's very well said. I, I just hope that people realize that like this out of all the problems that we are facing when it comes to climate emergency, this is one that I think we've got. I think we can do this. Like there's going to be a lot of other problems that are going to require our lawmakers to do their jobs. Um, and that's going to be really hard. But this one with the fashion industry, we can do this. We can do yeah. this. And yeah. when you look at the, the scale of the problems that we're facing, it's very, very easy to get scared because yeah, that's a potentially very scary future. And so I always tell people to compartmentalize this and think about the areas where you can actually make change. And as far as how we buy and what we buy, I think a lot of us have a lot more power than we think we do. Yeah. Aja, thank you so much for all of this. This is you know, everything to me. And I, I can't wait to read this book and learn all of this and yeah. really like unpack everything. Thank you so much. I really Congratulations. appreciate it. Thank you.